If you enjoy our content, please consider supporting us. Click the support link on our main page to become a patron. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of More Shenanigans with James and Donna Moore. I'm Donna Moore. And I'm James Moore. And today we're going to be talking about a subject that's a concern for many people and ties into a decision that we've made to make our lives better. My wife and I have realized that right now we are the heaviest we've ever been. And I'm not talking about political influence. I'm not talking about being cool. I'm talking about just weight. Weight management is a problem. So we've made a decision to do something about that. And tied into that is good dietary habits. And we're the heaviest we've ever been. My BMI is like, what was it, 39%? Yes. And yours was 35%? Yeah, and we could do we could do a whole show on, show on BMI, but according to the automatic calculator that's that's set up by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, their definition of obese is a BMI of over 30. 30, and, 30 or over. And a BMI is a simple calculation ratio between your height and your weight. So I put my height at exactly six feet and I put in my weight of 255. Don't judge. No judgment. This is a no judgment zone. Okay. And my BMI is 34.6. Now, at one point in my life, I really enjoyed being at 235, you know, and if I was at 235, my BMI would still be in the obese range of 31.9. So you'd have to be down around 200. If I put in 200, I'm at 27.1. So, you know, maybe a little bit more than 200. Yeah, probably 180. Yeah. 185, yeah. Which is... No, above 200. Oh, just a little above. Yeah, something like, you know, something above that would put me right at the the obese line. Right. It's it's sad when your goal is right at obese. (laughs) But um, But the bottom line is, is that the only way that we can do something about our weight is to eat differently and move. And those two things are very difficult in the American lifestyle because everything is about convenience in the American lifestyle. Everybody has a car, everybody drives everywhere, everything is spread out. For instance, in Rotterdam, where we went on vacation a few years ago, everybody, and when I say everybody, I mean everybody from the aged to little children ride their bikes to school, to work, to the grocery store, to, you know, doctor's appointments, to every, I mean, they just ride their bikes. Now there are vehicles, people do drive, and there is fabulous public transportation, but with the public transportation, you're still walking or riding your bike from point A to point B after you get off your public transportation. So not saying that there aren't obese people in the Netherlands or other places like that, but everything isn't as spread out, one, and two, public transportation is much more convenient and feasible over there versus here. Um, it's more like, say, New York City or Chicago as far as their public transportation, but that's pretty much like in in every city. You know what I mean? It's like that in every city. So bottom line is you have to move and you have to eat right. Right. So you just covered the moving thing. And at least with the moving issue, you know what choices you're making. Right. Okay. You I'm know, you know that I'm taking the car to the grocery store instead of walking a half mile to the grocery store. You know, you're doing that. Right. But when it comes to the eating right, we have discovered so much 
of what you think you're eating or what you think you're buying, you have no idea what you're actually putting into your body. At least I didn't. And I suspect that a number of other people haven't. And I'm sure some people are going to be listening to this podcast and say, well, it's about time you figured this out. <laughs> I'm thinking about Mike and Vanessa Mitchell, for one. They're, they're the ones that are going to be saying they finally figured it out. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing that is about American food, we, we eat a lot of processed food. Obviously, we eat a lot of, and I, when I say we, I mean Americans. My husband and I do too, but Americans in general, okay? We eat a lot of processed food and we eat a lot of fast food. Fast food is one thing you can say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to eat fast food anymore. I'm just not going to do it. I'll just give it up, you know, make it a treat every once in a while, make it, you know, whatever. That's relatively easy to do. But the processed food in America is very difficult to get away from because pretty much everything that is in a box or a can or a package is processed in some way. If you're not eating clean, meaning you're eating all fresh veg- fruits and vegetables or frozen fruits and vegetables or and, you know, organic meats and, and cheeses and that type of thing, you're going to have some sort of processing done to that food. And that's pretty much everything. And again, here we go with the convenience part of the American lifestyle. Everything is about convenience. Let's, you know, do this with this package and this with this can and this with that box. So what happens is you're taking in a bunch of chemicals and things that you're putting in your body that you don't know what is doing to your body. Right. Some people think that processed food means you take good food and you put it into a container. That's not processing as far as what we're talking about. We're talking about food that's been manipulated and changed, chemicals added, treatments done to it to actually get you hooked more on that product. And to preserve it. And to so-and-so preserve it. Now, we're not, now we are not speaking about GMOs, genetically modified foods. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just basic processed foods. Here's a prime example, okay? Here's a prime example of something that we've all probably eaten at some point or fed our children at some point. Quaker oats, okay? The the flavored kind, the ones that have the fruits in different flavored or different types of fruits in it. So the U.S. version, and I'm going to attempt to read the the ingredients in the U.S. version. Okay, there are some 29 ingredients. Whole grain rolled oats, sugar, creaming agent. The creaming agent includes maltodextrin, sunflower and palm oils, whey, sodium caseinate, flavored and colored fruit pieces, dehydrated apples treated with sodium sulfite. Oh, now let me back up and say that this flavor that I'm reading the instru- the ingredients on is strawberries and cream. So tell me why there's apples in it. Hey, well, you know. Those apple pieces, I like I said, were treated with sodium sulfite. Artificial strawberry flavor. That's where your strawberries come from. There's not even strawberries in here. It's artificial strawberry flavor, citric acid, and red 40. Hold on to that red 40 for a second. Okay, just keep that in the back of your mind because I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Okay, keep going. Salt, guar gum, artificial flavor, citric acid, niacinamide, vitamin A, palmitate, reduced iron, peroxid pi pyridoxine hydrochloride, riboflavin, thiamine mononitrate, folic acid. Okay, now, if you know what all of that is, you work at Quaker Oats as a chemist. Right. All right? Because so many of those ingredients were so ambiguous. Yes. Artificial flavor. Artificial, which could be anything. Anything. It could be anything. It could be any, yeah. So now, here's the UK version. Well, first, why is, why are there two different versions? Why is there a UK version and the US version? Let's read it and then I'll tell you why. Okay. 
Okay, then. The ingredients in the UK version, there are one, two, three, four, five ingredients. What are those ingredients? Quaker whole grain rolled oats. Quaker whole grain rolled oats. The other one just said whole grain rolled oats. Which could be from anybody. Anybody. So... There you go. Sugar, freeze-dried raspberry pieces, freeze-dried strawberry pieces. The strawberries and the strawberry oatmeal. And natural flavoring. That's it? That's it. Okay. Everything is pronounceable. <laughs> Everything, I know what it is, and all of that. So let us let me tell you why that is the way it is. So I'm just going to read something verbatim here from this article, okay? Okay, we'll be quoting this article, the source of this article, you yes. know, in the comments. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, with clear authority to regulate additives and animal drugs, does not have any authority over food itself. So, so what's the F for? I no, guess I know what the F for, but we don't want to go explicit. Yeah, we can't say that on the air. Um, instead, the FDA compiles a list of food and, and food ingredients that are generally recognized as safe, or better known as GRAS. By using these GRAS ingredients, food companies are essentially protected from lawsuits that could occur under U.S. liability law. Again, the companies who sell the products are the ones recognizing the product as safe, and the FDA, by adding the product to the GRAS list, provides the company with pr- protection from litigation. So basically, in the EU or in Europe, they take a approach of proactive approach to their food regulation and the food that they, the processed food that they feed their citizens. You have to prove it's not harmful. So they, right. So they, um, yeah, but... In the United States, they're like, well, go ahead and do it. And then, you know, if something bad happens, then we'll take it off the market, if basically. somebody grows an extra eye. I then... mean, that's basically, yeah. And here's the other kicker. In the U.S., the U.S. government relies on the companies producing the products to prove their own guilt if the food is, if the product is that they're using, if the chemical or the additive or what have you is, you know, a carcinogen or whatever. So, um, for example, yellow dyes five and six, red dye 40. Remember, I read that in that those ingredients. Oh, our oatmeal. Yes. Red dye 40, blue dye one, and caramel coloring, which is in this Dr. Pepper that I have sitting next to me, and every other soda and dark soda and who knows what other, other food products. So, yellow dyes five and six, red dye 40, blue dye one, Caramel coloring, all FDA approved in the United States as GRAS, generally recognized as safe. Yes. Therefore, widely used by U.S. food producers are all linked to, ready for this? Neurological problems, allergies, brain cancer, ADD, and ADHD. Okay, so... Wait, let me stop. Other countries do not share the U.S. recognition of their quote-unquote safety, so these chemical additives are banned in France, the U.K., Norway, Austria, and Finland. Now, I realize that what I'm about to say is a real simplification of things. And I'm not saying I have the direct link to this, but just think about it. We've got issues with mental health here in this country and mass shootings and people getting out of control and these questionable chemicals being put in to all kinds of processed food that people don't are not even made aware of. While in Europe, when's the last mass shooting that you had in Europe? I think it was called World War Two. No, there's been some sense, <laughs> yeah, but but still. yeah, but still, and not like somebody right. just walking. No. to the grocery store and shoot up the place. Now, we're not saying that all mental health issues are because of the poorly processed food here in America. No, no. However, it has said it's it's been proven scientifically that 
it co- it can cause ADD and ADHD, which is rampant in this country. Right. And then and then we put the children on more on medication that has more chemicals in it. That has to counteract the drugs and chemicals that are being given to them in processed food. Now in in America, obesity. I I think I I read what did I say it was like thirty or thirty five percent of Americans uh-huh. um, are considered obese. Which Remember, is that BMI that, of over thirty. Right. So that's, you know, less than half, but still it's a significant number of people in America. Um, what what goes along with being obese? Health issues mm-hmm. with a healthcare system that is less than stellar in America. So you have people who are eating highly processed food, who are then becoming obese, who are then be- having comorbidities because of the obesity. Comorbidities meaning they several, uh, more than one health issue. Could be high blood pressure, could be diabetes, could be heart issues, could be cholesterol issues. It could be any number of things. Um, and then the healthcare costs then skyrocket. $86 billion a year in America for obesity-related healthcare, meaning people are, you know, having heart attacks, they're, you know, they're depressed, they're um, having strokes, they're diabetic, they're pre-diabetic, they're, you know, I mean, there's there's a whole gamut of different things that could potentially be eliminated if we just ate differently. Right. But we're being bamboozled by the agency that is supposed to protect us when it comes to our food. Right. And if you, even if you're in the simple situation of, well, I realize that a lot of this processed food that I'm buying is loaded with sugar, loaded with salt to make me want to eat it. I tried to do something good about that. You go to something that has some kind of sugar substitute in it. And then you're dealing with a situation where you may be getting a chemical in your body that will turn off your body's ability to tell you that you're full. Right. Or it tricks you and thinks, right, it tricks you and thinks, makes you think that you're hungry or you're thirsty. And then who knows what that chemical is actually doing to your body. Is it, can't, is it, is it a carcinogen? Is it, is it doing any other kind of, because it's a, it's a chemical. It's not real. Right. Um, and then here comes the diet industry as the, you know, as the white horse, as the, you know, knight on a white horse. Um, but that's not real either. Um, $3.8 billion a year on average, the diet industry is making on people who are obese. And I don't have the numbers for it, but I have been an overweight person, you know, most of my life. And I know that everything, every one of those quote unquote diet plans do not work long term. Now, there there are people who can make it work long term, whether it be, you know, a low carb diet or a low protein diet or, a you know, what, what whatever it is, whatever it is. But the bottom line is, is that we have to know what we're putting in our bodies yeah. for food in the first place. Now, and we can't do that if we can't pronounce the ingredients that are on the back of the box of the can. So what does that mean? We have to leave that stuff alone as much as possible. Right. Now, let me tell you. Right, straight out, and you probably have already figured this out, but we got to say it just for the record. I am not a dietitian. My wife is not a dietitian. We are not healthcare professionals. You should not make any hasty decisions as far as what you're eating right now and and everything until you've had a conversation with a trusted doctor. Yes, but have a, have a conversation with your doctor. And here's the other thing that I that I just have to discuss with the obese people who may be listening. When we as obese people go to the doctor, and if we have some sort of an ailment, the first thing they're going to tell us is to lose weight. And I find that very dismissive because I'm. Not not saying that the ailment couldn't be handled with 
weight loss. However, I can't lose weight like that. I cannot wake up tomorrow and lose 30 or 40 or 50 pounds or even 10 pounds. I, I can't do it. It takes time. It takes commitment on my part. All of this is what has to happen on my part. From a healthcare professional's part, just because somebody's obese does not mean that they don't have a real diagnosable, treatable ailment or disease. And they need to be treated with respect as a human being and any tests or what have you that need to be done need to be done regardless of whether they're obese or not, because there may be a reason why they can't lose weight. I'm not saying that is what is happening with me. I'm not saying that's happening with my husband or with anybody else. So please don't use that as an excuse because for my husband and I, that is not the case. We are just lazy and over, you know, we're just lazy, basically. We, we just don't do what we're supposed to do. Now, we're going to try to change that. However, if I go to the doctor and I'm saying that I'm having this issue or that issue, I cannot be dismissed because I'm overweight and it does happen. So how do we get away from the processed food? Okay, how do you do that? It's surrounding <clears throat> us. Right. So we have to we have to learn how to eat clean, cleaner, meaning, you know, more fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, more um, whole grains and nuts and good fat, like uh, fatty fish, like salmon and trout and avocado, that kind of thing. Avocados, you know, that kind of thing, if you like avocados. But to be able to do that, it costs money. You know, the the, the, the high cost of fresh, clean eating versus fast food and processed food is, you know, it's, it's a huge gap. If you go into a low income area, there's going to be a McDonald's on every other corner with a dollar menu and the salad's going to be six dollars yeah but on this subject i wish we had a dietitian you know with us right because there there is a you know a lot of it has to do with personal taste there is a counterbalance because fast food is cheap that's what it comes it comes down it fast does. food is cheap Absolutely. you go to to rb's or hardy's or whatever they're giving you tons of food for almost nothing however there are other cheap foods that are good for you that you can't possibly overeat on that are not very expensive but right. look at examining my own diet right okay i could put the money instead of the money i put into potato chips yeah i could actually save money if i put that same amount of money into carrots or right. grapes or whatever i mean even even, even in our environment where, you know, food is kind of expensive, fresh fruit can be expensive. If I put that same $4 in that bag of chips, you know, into, you know, grapes or carrots, then it would it would work itself out. It does. However, in a lot of um, low-income areas, they have food deserts. No, that, yeah, that's another subject we can talk about. Yeah, where they don't have, you know, real grocery stores like a Kroger or a Food Lion or a Harris Teeter or a whatever. You know, they're, they're going to a Dollar General that has groceries, but there's not a fresh fruit or vegetable or anything like that in that store. But that's where they have to shop because that's what's in their neighborhood. And what they do have tons of is probably the flavored Quaker oats that we just talked <laughs> the about. nine ingredients. With the 29 ingredients and a lot of other food in boxes. Right, right. And so, you know, we can't, as as a couple, we can't fix everything. We can't fix the whole problem. What we can do is start with ourselves. Yes. And, and learn how to eat better ourselves. Because a lot of times, with myself anyway, and I know this has happened with you as well, that, well, I don't like that, or I don't like that, or I don't, you know, we got to figure out how to um, ingest things that we don't necessarily like because they're good for us. There's a lot of different ways that you 
you can, you know, because we are uh, able financially to be able to do that, we can get the fresh fruits and vegetables that we wouldn't normally eat. Yeah, blessed in that way. Right. But, but we can figure out a way to make them, whether it be in a smoothie or what have you, so that we can ingest them. Right. In some way that is going to be pal- palatable. palatable. So... One thing that I'll say is this, okay? You have to make some choices as far as quality of life, okay? I am not going to be eating raw beets. I'm not going to be eating <laughs> I'm not going to be eating asparagus. I hate that stuff. There's so many other There's, good choices right. that yeah. I can and also, like you said, prepare it in a way that's flavorful or masked or covered up with something else that's good. Right. You we gotta make an effort to find that. Right. But there's some things that I'm just not going to eat because... Right. And I agree with you. And there are some things that I'm not going to give up, but it's all about moderation. That's the thing is that, no, do I want to give up bacon? No, I don't want to give up bacon. But I don't have to have bacon every day. No, I'm not going to give up eggs. I'm not even going to give up egg yolks. But do I have to eat egg yolks every day? No, I can eat an egg white omelet if that's what I want to do more often than not. Um, Do I need to give up my Dr. Peppers? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is a struggle. And absolutely absolute struggle for me to give that up. But one of the things that's banned in in, in overseas is caramel coloring. I had a Dr. Pepper overseas and it tasted completely different. It was still good, but it tasted completely different because it wasn't the... First of all, they use sugar. They don't use high fructose corn syrup. They use real sugar. So it makes it taste way different just because of that. But I just need to give it up completely anyway because it's just empty calories and it's not necessary. But that's like telling somebody who's a coffee drinker, give up your coffee. Or just stop smoking. Or just stop smoking. Because, I mean, I just love my Dr. Pepper and I don't do anything else. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't, Mm. you know, I don't spend a lot of money. I don't, that's just my one little vice. But that one little vice could be killing me yeah well you know now that i think about it we mentioned the the cigarette this is the exact same as the tobacco industry was doing yes putting additives in the cigarettes possibly harmful well definitely harmful carcinogens and getting you more and more hook on that product that's what's happening with the processed food and just like with just like the uh tobacco industry did they start them out young yeah you know yeah so that means that we realize because of the the environment we're in and your circumstances, especially if you're in a situation where you're in one of the food deserts we're talking about, we don't have any real suggestions on that. But for you and I, Donna, who are living kind of privileged in that regard, absolutely, we can go to a grocery store and we could make or the choice market. or a farmer's market, try to support that farmer's market and slide more towards... Real fruit and vegetables, not stuff that's necessarily in the can and has all the nutrients and flavors sucked out of it in the canning process. That's more processed food. Then, you know, we could be living a different life. Yes, I think, you know, and and let's let we've been talking a lot about the food part of it, which is extremely important. But, you know, there's the movement part of it, too, because we could be eating all the, you know, all the food, all the good clean food we want. If we're not moving, it doesn't matter. We're still intaking calories and not, and not, you know, doing anything to have a calorie deficit. Yeah. But you know, the reason why I've been talking more about the food is because there's not a situation where we're walking two miles and find out, oh, the government is actually making us walk only a mile and a right. half, you know, <laughs> right, right. that that's that. not going on. I get that. Okay. That's so very true. we, we made this discovery about what's happened to our, our, our food sources here in this country because of our desire of wanting to make a change in our lives. So what we're going to be doing is hoping that we are gathering some accountability people so that 
that may be 30 days from now takes about 30 days to really create a new habit. 30 days from this coming Thursday, yes, we're going to be putting ourselves on a regimen that's going to get us more towards healthier eating and moving around right? and see what the effect is, see if the BMI moves at all. Right. Basically... What we're gonna do, and this isn't, you know, a diet plan. This is, this is, um, this lifestyle is just a, change. It, this is a lifestyle change, absolutely. But this, what we're gonna be doing for thirty days, is just kind of a kickstart of that lifestyle change. Basically, what we're gonna do is we're gonna replace our breakfast with a smoothie made completely of fresh fruits and vegetables and nuts for, you know, fat and protein. Um, and ginger. And ginger. Um, and so we're gonna do that for thirty days, along with some movement, um, every day and see what happens in that 30-day period of time. So that's kind of what what our plan is. And then from there, hopefully we can continue with, you know, something similar, whether it be, uh, you know, just at that point, we just want to be able to change what we eat. And the other thing too, that I've noticed, um, going back to the difference between, you know, overseas and here is portions of food, food portions. Yeah. And my philosophy on that, that worked for me when we were being good and, and, um, eating right and losing weight at a time in our lives. I knew that my problem that I had basically two problems. Number one, eating after a certain time at night. This just this is just what worked for me. Eating after a certain time at night was a problem. And the other problem is treating every meal like it's my last one. Like I'm on death row. Right. I'm never going to taste fried chicken again. I need to have three pieces of fried chicken so I can have the, the beautiful memory of what it tastes like. But it turns out that next week, Hey, this fried chicken. Right. So you have to treat each meal like it's just there to get you to, you know, the next meal. It's right. not your last one. We have to learn how to, and I think this is something that we don't do here in America, but me specifically, I do not do, is we need how learn how to eat to live Instead and not live, live to eat. Right. Because we're always thinking about our next meal. What are we going to eat next? What are we going to eat next? What are we going to eat next? And then we gorge ourselves on that food. When you go to a restaurant here in America, the amount of food that they give you is disgusting. It is it is enough food for probably three people if you really well, think a, about it. In a lot of situations, yes. When we went to when we were in Europe and they put the food in front of us, we for the, the very first time we both looked at each other like, um Where's the rest of the food? Where's the rest of the food? Uh, but that was that it was but we ate it and it was sufficient. It was more than sufficient. Right. Because it, like you said last night, we don't need to feel Thanksgiving full every time we eat a meal. Yeah. And, and that's what we do. That's what that's we what we're heading ourselves. towards. That's what we're heading towards. So hey, there's where the economy comes in again. If you have a significant other and you can agree on what to eat, which is a challenge sometimes, <clears throat> but split some of those meals. Yeah. Because you'll find out that it's enough. And a lot of times if you look Look at some of those menus, you know, they'll have like you can get the lunch portion or the dinner portion. Right. Well, I don't care if it's eight o'clock at night, get the lunch portion. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with taking any food home. Yeah. And take it home and have it for lunch the next day. Or, you know, figure out, I mean, I, you know, figure out a way just not to eat it. You don't have to eat what's everything that's put in front of you. Right. But, you know, we, we realize that that's going to be combating some ingrown training because I know raising kids, you know, you say clean your plate. That's yeah. what I heard when I was growing up from my grandmother. Eat all your food, yeah. clean your plate. That's was yeah. you know, the mantra. Now you got to realize, okay, either the plate gets smaller or you realize that you do not have to eat every single thing on your 
your plate. Right. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to do this kickstart for us. That's how we're going to do it. If anybody's listening and they're like, you know what? You've inspired me to do something. You know, I want to do what you're doing. You don't have to do what I'm doing or what James is doing. Do something, whatever it is, What whatever it is. I know I was watching a video the other day of this lady who lost 360 pounds. When she started, she was just about 600 pounds is how much she weighed. And it hurt her to stand up and even walk around. But And she said, how am I going to, how am I going to even move around? And she literally would get up, walk from her chair to the kitchen and back as often as she could. And then that, you know, snowballed from walking from her chair to the end of the sidewalk outside. And then a half a block and then a block. And then it just, you know, because the more you do it, the more, you know, and it, it's all about getting into a routine. Now, here we are at over 200 pounds each and I'm short, I'm 5'5", five, five, and I'm, you know, over 200 pounds. I'm telling you all this like I'm some sort of dietitian fitness expert. What I am is a fat girl in the United States who's done this a hundred times. Mm-hmm. So I'm an expert in the fact that I know what to do. I just don't do it right. or I don't follow through with doing it. Right. And so my, my goal this time is to follow through for 30 days and to one, do the do the movement and the and the chan- the the chan- the smoothie challenge that's that's those are the two things that I'm going to do for 30 days and see what happens at the end of those 30 days okay so at the end of that 30 day period we'll probably you know make a mention at some part of that that podcast of where we are with that in the meantime that's all for this episode tune in next time for more shenanigans